Hello, everyone. You are listening to The Narrators. Today's story comes from poet, activist, and educator Susie Q. Smith. This story was recorded live at Bumpport Theater, and the theme of the show was patterns. So my name is Susie Q. Smith, and I'm an artist and educator and an organizer. At least that's how I usually tell it. And I think a lot about the roles and the titles that I live in, the ways they evolve, the way that titles change, the way the world interacts with us and the ways we interact with it. And I especially think a lot about the difference between being an artist and being an entertainer, uh, someone who's seen as both sometimes. I grew up in a family that is very, very artistic and also very religious and spiritual, right? Equal parts. My grandmother's a pianist and she played for every single church service. I grew up living with her. So we went to church five times a week, which um, is a lot. Um, My family reunions genuinely, they're usually including a talent show and you are expected to perform even if you're not family. So sometimes I've surprised friends um, (laughs) by bringing them home. So being creative comes very naturally to me. Uh, It's also something that's sacred. My grandmother always taught me to maintain a sacred relationship with what we create and express, making sure that it comes from a place of spiritual integrity in a world of those fast Hollywood types who always try to exploit you and your talent. I distinctly remember watching a made-for-TV movie with my grandmother when I was a kid about a hopeful starlet who got tricked into posing nude for a photo shoot, the creepy photographer who kept encouraging her to just take off a little bit more, one article of clothing at a time. It haunted me. I've been writing for most of my life. It's how I figure out what I think, how I feel, what to do with all those thoughts and feelings before I explode. As much as I love to create and need to express, I was also extremely shy as a child. I was so quiet that people outside of my immediate family often believed that I was incapable of speech. I didn't usually correct them. As I got a bit older, the need to express became more urgent. I joined the choir so I could sing without anyone really hearing me. I would hide in my bedroom closet to dance. When I was a teenager, I started performing at open mics around town, sharing my little poems and songs with a shaking voice and a shaking notebook in my hands. And people started noticing me in different ways. These would-be fast Hollywood types, but Denver, sketchy directors asking me to be in their plays or films for which they had no scripts or venues. Creepy artists asking me to pose for their sketches alone in their studios. Musicians offering to produce me when they had no production credits or skills. Of course, the pervy photographers asking me to model for their photo shoot, asking me to take off a little more and a little more. It became a pattern. The more I tried saying my own words, the more other people would try to put something else in my mouth. Such is the common experience of young artists, especially girls. Even now, as I've built a life as an artist, having released three albums, three poetry collections, toured and lectured all over the country, one of the primary projects that people know me for is Lady Wu-Tang, which was an all-woman cover band of the Wu-Tang Clan, which, granted, was very, very fun, but I was literally pretending to be someone else, saying Method Man's words and not my own. One of the things that has helped me grow creatively and really express myself fully is a little thing called the internet. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but uh, in the late 2000s, I started uploading audio files of my poems to the Creative Commons, which allowed me to collaborate with artists all over the world. For instance, I got to collaborate with a Belgian industrial band, and the song we made together was a finalist in the BBC Next Big Thing contest. The video they made for it was banned from YouTube, which was very big news in Belgium, I hear. 
If you do a deep dive, you can still probably find some German house takes on some of my poems. There are definitely some dubstep remixes out there. Some of it's great, some of it's hilariously awful, but I'm still grateful that it's my words and my voice. One of these collaborations led to a full album of remixes working primarily with one producer whose real name I actually still don't know. We worked together on this album going back and forth, sharing files, and eventually built sort of a friendship. He said that he worked with an organization in New York City that offered arts programming to unhoused teens. He asked if I would come to maybe record some samples next time I was in New York so the kids and I could meet, make some songs together, which of course I was happy to do. So a few months later, I'm in New York. The producer is in London, he tells me, but he connects me with the people who run the organization. Cool. I schedule a visit with the folks who run the org so I can meet some of the teenagers and record some things for them to work with. Delightful. They send a car to my hotel, which is much fancier than I'm used to, but cool. While I'm in the car, I get an email from the organization asking if, instead of my own poems, if I'll consider reading the attached poems that kids in the program have written. I open the file, curious and willing, to find the most grotesque trauma porn I've ever read. Graphic details of horrific violence and trauma, pages and pages of it with no processing, no nuance, no healing, no hope. It raised so many red flags for me. As an educator who's worked with many different kinds of trauma, this felt irresponsible and extremely exploitative. So I responded, no thank you. I won't be reading these poems out loud. If they are to be read, I think it's important for them to be voiced by the people who wrote them. I will read mine, and they're welcome to create in collaboration if they'd like to, as we originally agreed on. I get to the spot. It is not a youth center. It is not a recording studio. It's a woman ho woman's home. It's her family's home. It's one of those wealthy New York City homes where they own the whole top floor of a building. I go inside. She welcomes me warmly, then tells me, we're not going to the center because the youth are not there today. She also tells me she does not have access to a recording studio which is the whole reason I'm there. Take off a little more and a little more, right? So she says, of course, that she's worked it out. A filmmaker friend of hers is on their way with a camera, and we're going to be doing a video project instead. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the difference between audio and video, but I was definitely dressed for radio. <laughs> but I was already there. I agreed. I said I would stay, let them film me reading a few of my poems. Fine. The filmmaker gets there. She's fairly aggressive in asking me why I'm refusing to read the poems that were sent to me on the ride over. I try to explain again and again that was never the agreement, that's not what the arrangement was. And it was sprung on me, as well as the film. I was expecting to be in a recording studio with a bunch of teenagers, so everything about this was making me pretty uncomfortable. I insisted on only reading my own work, and she kept trying to negotiate with me. She wanted something dirty, something gritty. She asks me to read something dark, something traumatic. She asks me to sit in a dark corner and face the wall while I read the poem. She asks me to go outside to the alley in New York City and lay on the ground. I'm getting angrier and more suspicious with every moment, inches from walking out. Finally, after some tense negotiations, I agree to sit in a lovely chair, look out the window, read some pleasant poems to the camera, and go on my merry way. Once we wrap, the filmmaker leaves in a fury. The woman whose home we're in, who runs the organization, says, please, let me try to just make this right. Let me buy you lunch in the cafe downstairs, then I'll have my car take you to the airport. I agree. So we go into the cafe, and as we're being seated, we see her friend, the filmmaker who just left in a huff, and of course, she's there eating in the same cafe. It's clear that she's still irritated and has probably just been talking about how angry she is and how annoying I was, but she goes quiet as we approach the table. She glares up at me, but remembers her manners. She says, 
Well, let me introduce you to my husband. She leans to the side and her husband comes into view. He is Andrew McCarthy of 1980s classic Pretty in Pink fame. I'm still incensed and still holding on to my dignity, my artistic integrity. My inner 10-year-old is jumping up and down and screaming, do you have any idea how many times I watched Mannequin? (laughs) I remain poised. Shook his hand. Andrew, is it? Hmm. And walked away. Perhaps this won't surprise you, but not much came of the film we shot that day. I don't talk to that producer anymore or even use the creative commons. Maybe if I were willing to let go of my own voice and my own artistic vision, I could have starred in a trauma porn snuff film, floated around to rich celebrities, maybe inspiring them to donate money to a nonprofit that I actually never saw any evidence of existing. Or maybe if I were willing to let go of my own voice, I would be one of those rich celebrities by now. But in a world of these fast Hollywood types, I'm still my grandmother's granddaughter, refusing to take off a little more. And if I have to choose between them, I'd still rather keep my voice. Thank you. Keep it going for Susie Q. Smith. The Narrators is produced by me, Aaron Rollman, and Ron Doyle, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, Scott Carney, and Sydney Crane. Our music is by Gabby Gutierrez-Reed and Kevin Matthews. A special thanks goes out to our sponsors, Buntport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's, Juana Brands, and Great Divide Brewing Company. We will be back next week with a new episode. And if you're in Denver, please, please come join us for one of our live shows, which take place on the third Wednesday of every month. For more information about those shows or past episodes of this podcast, you can click on the link in our show notes or you can visit our website, thenarrators.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.